According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me in Proverbs 22 once again. Proverbs 22, as we're looking at verses uh, 4, 5, and 6 today. I think we wrapped up, uh, we talked about hide-and-go-seek last week in verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. We need to be um, aware of the day and age in which we live and the realities of the angelic conflict being what they are, what happens with the intensified stage and things that really we're not accustomed to thinking about because we've been spoiled. We've been um, Americans with freedom and, and peace and safety. And uh, if, in fact, we are headed for these days of persecution and, and difficulty, then uh, perhaps our, uh, our Christian friends from uh, Cameroon and Nigeria and other places, they'll be uh, equipped to, uh, to instruct us. We can learn from them uh, what it means to run and hide in the woods when, when uh, the gunfire starts on a Sunday morning. So in any event, there, will, there comes a time to hide yourself, and it's not sinful. Jesus uh, engaged in it several times. As we saw, uh, I believe the point of study we were looking at was here. Prudent perception produces a practical perspicuity. And uh, John chapter 8, John chapter 10, John chapter 12, when, when, it, when it's time to hide yourself, then go hide. Understand that, that in the will of God, God doesn't expect you just to stand there and get murdered if, uh, if in fact, uh, He's given you the wisdom to... Uh, to be discerning, to have a practical perspicuity, as it were. All right, so we'll pick up with this uh, after a word of prayer. Remember, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Let's, uh, let's humble ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing that we have this morning to assemble together. I thank you for your grace and your faithfulness that are manifest every time when we uh, come together as uh, scheduled to study to show ourselves approved. We thank you for the living, abiding word of God that is uh, so powerful and so effective and so uh, beneficial to us day by day and moment by moment. We uh, call upon your faithfulness again this hour, Father, to to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to soften our hearts. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, we're in a main point three at the moment where we're uh, outlining verses 2 through 16, essentially using verse 1 as a heading where we have a good name. As verse 1 says, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth, favor, that's grace, is uh, better than silver and gold. And so for those who have a well-grounded grace reputation, that's what we have. A believer that dedicates his life to living according to the Word of God. Where, how, do, how do you go wrong with that? When you dedicate your, your Zoe life and your Bios life to living according to the standard of the Word of God, then you become the living uh, illustration of not only verse 1, but everything else that follows. And so we have uh, here really um, the essence of proverbial wisdom in the lives of those with a well-grounded grace reputation. 
In other words, when you're living your life according to the Bible, according to the wisdom of God's Word, then this reputation, this grace, characterizes your entire life. And so we can see this here. And you have the good name and you have the grace of God because you're living your life according to His, uh, the principles of His wisdom. And so really what follows then in all these other verses, 2 through 16, is kind of a snapshot for the whole book of Proverbs. We have uh, uh, almost everything here that we're looking at is something we've already studied prior to this. There's nothing new in these, in these verses. It's because this is a, a recap, a snapshot of everything we've been looking at here in the book of Proverbs, including, so starting in verse 2, the common bond for all humanity. Uh, the, the Lord is the maker of them all that we are God's creatures. We, uh, he's the creator, we're the creatures, and uh, we are in the image of God. This is why if we abuse the poor, we're making a mockery, and, uh, and God won't tolerate that. And uh, so principles that we've seen already in 14.31 and 17.5, we're going to see again in uh, 22.16. This, this idea opens the paragraph and it closes the paragraph. As you see verse 2, Again, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then we look down to verse 16, the closing of this paragraph. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives, who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. These principles open the chapter or open the paragraph and close the paragraph uh, almost like bookends for this, this unit that we're dealing with here in verses 2 through 16. And then verse 3, which we looked at last week under point B, uh, the prudent sees the evil and hides himself. You need to be prudent about it. When, it. when it's time to hide, it's time to hide. Now, when it's time not to hide, you have to have that wisdom as well. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew that all of the hiding was over and done with, that it was now God had brought him to the point where it was time to lay down his life. And we need to have that kind of wisdom also where we know there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. There's a time to hide. There's a time to take a stand. We need to know that time and do so in humility, not with arrogance, not, not trying to you know, prove how awesome we are because we're not hiding. If, if God calls for us to hide, then let's do that. And if God calls for us to take a stand and die, then let's do that. But whatever we're doing, we're doing in, in humility, we're doing in obedience to, to God's leading. And uh, that's going to become important for us as well. And so uh, we have the issue there. So this really sets the stage for the humility principles that we see in verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. As we get to verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And as you might expect, uh, as, as we've touched on these issues already, um, this is not licensed for the prosperity theology crowd. This, does not, uh, this is not promising. These aren't earthly riches that are being promised. And say, well, I'm not a billionaire yet. I'm not, I'm not listed on the Forbes uh, top you know, billionaires listing. Why is, why is that? I should be on that list because obviously I'm the most spiritual person in town. So how come I don't have billions? Why am I not wealthy? Well, because you're confusing the riches, honor, and life that, that the Bible talks about with the, uh, Doug, with the riches, honor, and life that, uh, that the Bible's talking about. These are the spiritual riches, spiritual honor, and spiritual life that should be pretty clear when we see uh, these things unfold. 
All right, so let's uh, get point C then in our outline. God rewards those who humbly fear Him. God rewards those who humbly fear Him. And this is uh, biblical. This is true. This is absolutely what it, what it is. We don't deny it because the, the Scripture is plain, but we do recognize that uh, all of these principles, riches, honor, and life, they all have uh, spiritual dynamics and, and earthly dynamics. And we're not claiming that this verse is promising things in the earthly realm. All right, and so we may ha- we may be dishonored in the earthly realm. We may uh, have uh, poverty in the earthly realm. We may have uh, the the the, uh, the life that we're promised may not be what we think it ought to be in the earthly we- in the earthly realm, because we have to focus on the spiritual realm in uh, in these principles. All right, and, l- and like I say, this is not the first time we've encountered this. This has been uh, featured already back in chapter three. Uh, this featured just a chapter ago in chapter 21. We've had these, these principles played out as well. Let's look at Proverbs 3.16. Might have to back up slightly to get the context for this. Verse 13, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. This is very early. This is chapter 3. So we're still in the parental wisdom portion of the book where the parents are pouring out their hearts to their their son to to grow in the Word of God. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain is better than fine gold. And this this tells us everything we need right here that that, um, there's there's the earthly realm and there's the spiritual realm. We might call it the the dollar value of, of earthly wealth since we're Americans and we have U.S. dollars for our currency. Um, that's not what this passage is talking about. It doesn't say that the more Bible classes you attend, the, uh, the more U.S. dollars you're going to have. But we have spiritual profit, better than the profit of silver. That, that tells you the contrast right there. Do you want, do you want the, the secular finances? This is better. Okay, This is better. Her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. So right there in the realm of wealth, we understand we have the contrast between the, the earthly and the, and the spiritual. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. So there's that trinity again, just like we're seeing in, in 22.4, because we have riches, honor, and life that are all in this context. Long life is in her right hand. So does that mean you're, you're guaranteed to live to 100? Uh, no, wait a minute. Okay, Because we talk about long uh, length of days, that it's the quality of the days as we're glorifying Jesus Christ, as we're growing in the Word of God. And you can actually live a longer earthly time and have less to show for it in glory because you weren't living for the Lord. But the long life that we're promised, the abundant life that Jesus promised, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it abundantly. And you can have actually a longer life in shorter years because you're redeeming the time for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. You know, you talk about that tree of life that Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve uh, lost when they were expelled from the garden and the access to the tree of life that they were denied. And, and now, of course, with the flood, the tree of life isn't even on planet Earth anymore. We're waiting for the new Earth to be 
uh, created for the tree of life to be replanted on the new earth after the millennium. But in the meantime, effectively, there is a tree of life in this world. If you want to think of it in this metaphor, if you want to think of it in this spiritual sense that the Word of God presents it as, and that's God's wisdom. That is the tree of life. So when you're living your life in the Word of God, it's as if, uh, you know, again, it's the metaphor, the tree of life having been replanted means we're living our life according to God's standard. And that's what it's all about. All right. Uh, let's look at 21.21. Again, there may be a larger context, or not. Sometimes the Proverbs verses just sit there by themselves. All right. So he who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. What a trinity. Life, righteousness, and honor. And it comes about not by pursuing dollars, not by pursuing material success, not trying to, in the dog-eat-dog pursuit, get ahead of the next guy, or stepping on somebody else to to get ahead of, of where they are. And all the business practices that this fallen world seems to, uh, seems to magnify. No, pursuing righteousness and loyalty. Again, living your life according to the standards of the Word of God. Uh, the, the standard of righteousness that is God's standard. And the, uh, the chesed, that is the, the loyalty in the Old Testament. The chesed that we have. We would say growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we want to give it New Testament uh, terminology. But pursuing uh, tzedakah and chesed. Pursuing those elements in, in, uh, in, uh, in our Christian walk. And this is what you're going to find. And it's guaranteed. I mean, God is faithful to His promise. God is not going to disappoint anybody that's trusting in Him. When you're living in the Word of God and trusting God on a daily basis, this God does provide. Nobody, He never lets anybody down that's, uh, that's pursuing, his, uh, pursuing His will. To find life, righteousness, and honor. Psalm uh, 34. Now these are two Proverbs. Uh, this, this principle that we have, Solomon recording in the Proverbs, he actually got it from his father. He got it from the Davidic Psalm in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. And for this I think we've got to take the whole psalm in its context. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. One of the funniest stories in the whole Old Testament when uh, he just had to act like a, a drooling idiot to, to uh, save his life and, and, uh, and so forth. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is not a believer that has no problems. This is a believer that's got all kinds of problems. He's a fugitive from his own nation He's, he's serving the Philistines, and even they want to, want to kill him. I mean, everything is, is, is about as wrong as it can get in, in secular life, in earthly terms, and yet God still shows Himself faithful in every difficulty. So my soul will make its boast in the Lord, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. See, not only is answer to prayer a cool thing when it happens, right? We say, hey, God answered prayer, that's cool. No, more than that, it's a learning opportunity. And it's a blessing to be able to share those prayers with others. And you'll notice, my soul will make its boast in the Lord as he's testifying to the Lord's faithfulness. The humble will hear it and rejoice. That it's a learning opportunity for other people in addition to 
uh, to David. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He wants this worship to be a corporate thing, not just, a, not just an individual thanksgiving, but he wants a, a choir of people to say amen and give God the glory. Let us exalt his name together. And we appreciate the, uh, the benefits of corporate prayer and the opportunity to celebrate prayer together and everything that we can share ahead of time is, is, uh, just magnifies the prayers after the fact when we, when we all see the answers to prayer together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. So the people watching David the people watching David that might wonder, well, how's David going to get out of this? Or what's David going to do now? Or, man, if it was me, here's what I would do. But they're watching David and they're watching that David's not taking matters into his own hands. David's not uh, trying to solve his own uh, problems with his own human wisdom and human viewpoint. That David is seeking the Lord and, uh, and acknowledging the Lord in everything. And so uh, waiting for the Lord to answer. And so... Uh, this then becomes a great learning opportunity. All the, all the men that gathered around him, and there's a description in, in uh, Samuel there where he's actually gathering a lot of malcontents. He's gathering a lot of distressed people from the land and a lot of folks that were suffering because uh, King Saul's reign was, was pretty horrendous and uh, it had a lot of effect upon people when, uh, when you have wicked government and a lot of hardship in, uh, in the culture. And uh, so they've got the opportunity not just as a bunch of you know, rabble-rousers to, to cause trouble, but to actually be placed under godly leadership and learn the lessons of what it means to trust in the Lord. So um, they looked to Him and were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And that's when we give God the glory, we just say, thank you, Father, for answering our prayers. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but you're a God of grace and you rescued us. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I think far more than just academic, you know, uh, the academic instruction and just sitting down and learning doctrine and attending as many Bible classes and whatnot, but the idea of tasting, the idea that you are an active participant in this angelic conflict, that you're engaged, that you are also um, involved in prayer and in in, uh, seeking the wisdom of the Lord and uh, experiencing conflict and watching the Lord's deliverance. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. God never lets you down when you're trusting in the Lord. There's never a disappointment. There's never a regret. There's never anyone that looks back with hindsight and says, man, I really shouldn't have trusted in the Lord. He let me down. (laughs) It's never happened, not once. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And I think this goes so well with James 1. This goes so well with, you know, that uh, every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You think about the things that we don't have, God's keeping them from us for a reason. (laughs) <laughs> if it was a good thing, He'd have given it to us. But because He's withheld it from us, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, He takes away, He knows uh, the things that we need and don't need. And if we think that it's a want, 
they'll stop and say, wait a minute, I don't want any good thing, okay? And so uh, I just trust that when it's His will, I'll have it. And if not, then hey, good for Him. He knows what He's doing. And we can appreciate that. So come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This becomes the, the learning experience that we can expand upon. Anytime we have an answer to prayer, it's an opportunity for other people to see and they can learn. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days so that he may see good? Again, it's not only is it the, the total lifespan, but the quality of each day while you're living it here for the glory of Jesus Christ. Keep your uh, tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see what I mean? Like a whole chapter, all of Psalm 34 is centered on this theme of what it means to be living in the Word of God, to be trusting in Him on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. It's only Satan's lies that tell you that God's not watching you or that God doesn't see or God's not listening or God can't hear you or God doesn't care. All right? It's a faithful promise that He is watching. He's watching, He's listening, He's, He's shepherding. Every test that we're facing is in His faithful design. He won't test us beyond what we're able to bear. Not only did He permit the test, He crafted the exit to that test. He designed the ekbasis, the victorious conclusion to every test we're going to face. And it's in His wisdom that, that we, uh, we go through these things. And the face of the Lord is against the evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So He's, he's watching us in love and He's watching them in in judgment. The righteous cry, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And sometimes if it's not fast enough for us, if we think, you know, we, we want the microwave instantaneous answers to our prayers and, and we need to, uh, you know, every test ought to be, a, you know, just a, basically a one-day test, right? No, are you kidding me? <laughs> Not to, uh, you know, it's like trying to be, uh, trying to, to build up your strength and endurance in the gym and you're only lifting three pounds instead of 30 pounds and, and 100 pounds and 200 pounds. And, you know, you've got to be building up your, your muscles and your endurance with greater and greater weights in the gym. And the uh, same, same thing is true in the, in the spiritual walk. So the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, delivers him out of them all, or really through them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Some of this is not only is it generic promises for all believers, but in some of these Davidic Psalms, uh, we end up with what I call a prophetic shift, and next thing you know, you think, wait a minute, am I talking about David or am I talking about Jesus? <laughs> Okay? And then we find out in the Gospels that some of these are actually prophecies of Jesus, um, such as uh, not one of his bones is broken. All right. And I hope this is useful for us too. That way we can see uh, the nature of Psalms, the nature of Proverbs, the nature of the Hebrew poetry, and the prophecies that are contained therein. So that we understand distinction between uh, prose and poetry, we understand the distinction between promises and principles, that we don't, um, we don't look at uh, not one of them is broken and think, 
you know, that that's an absolute promise or misclaim uh, it or abuse it by saying, well, gee, I broke a bone once. I guess the Bible's wrong. I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, God's a liar. I can't trust in this Bible because I have a b- broken bone. All right? No, you're abusing. You're abusing Scripture in that way. Understand the Psalms. Understand the, the Proverbs. Understand the distinction between promises and principles. This is not an absolute statement saying that you'll never break a bone once in your life, okay? And, and I think it's useful for us to pay attention to this because we're about to hit a verse in Proverbs 22 that uh, might drive parents nuts uh, because it says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And I've known a lot of parents over the years and they, they're heartbroken over this. Because they think that the gods let them down. They think that, oh, this verse doesn't work. Or I raised my children, right? How come they're drug addicts? How come they're having all these, you know, they've gone to jail and done all these other things? Don't abuse the proverb. We're going to handle it appropriately and recognize what the general principle is. But also understand this isn't the only verse in the Bible, okay? There's other verses that are also equally true. So we put them all together in the totality of what God has said. All right. So keep that in mind as well. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The, and uh, boy, there's a principle that we can glean, especially in a day of darkness, as we're dealing with it in our culture. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned, or uh, I think put to shame. All right. Anyway, so Psalm 34 forms the, the backdrop for all these Proverbs and everything that Solomon learned that Solomon put in, in uh, the Proverbs and his wisdom there, he actually got it from David. He got it from the Psalms that uh, came a, a generation before him. And then, of course, we're familiar with James 4. This is not just for Israel in the Old Testament. This is not just... Um, you know, for their stewardship in the dispensation of Israel, but it continues to be true in the church age. I believe it's a trans-dispensational principle that applies in every stewardship applicable to, uh, to Gentiles before Israel, uh, applicable to Israel with their Canada Scripture, applicable to the church with our New Testament principles restating this from the Old Testament. I believe it was fundamental to the angelic stewardship and the fall of Satan when Satan rebelled against God's wisdom and in the original angelic fall, where we're told that uh, he gives a greater grace. It says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is the fundamental issue of the angelic conflict, because Satan is the proud one. Satan is the one that would not humble himself. Even uh, when God gives him the opportunity to be restored, to be restored would require humility, and Satan wouldn't do it. Absolutely refused. He'll just double down on his own arrogance. And uh, this is the the issue here. And of course, Jesus, what did Jesus come to do? Magnify himself? No. Jesus came to earth to be the anti-Satan. Jesus came to earth to not magnify himself, but to humble himself in ways that Satan would never do. And uh, to wash the disciples' feet. Do you think Satan would have done that? Do you think Satan would have washed anybody's feet? Of course not. Pride won't let you humble yourself. So submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the the fundamental issue in the angelic conflict. Are we humble to serve the Lord and grow in His Word? Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
That's another satanic element if you're going to be the hypocrite, you're going to be double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. You know the Bible commands you to be miserable? But to be miserable in this context. Mourn and weep. Trusting in the Lord each step of the way. You know, if, if God puts you in miserable conditions, then it's okay to be miserable. Because God put you there. But be miserable in those miserable conditions while you're still got your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And trust that when you learn the lessons you need to learn through the, the miserable conditions and the mourning and the weeping, it's not wrong to mourn, it's not wrong to weep in the mourning and weeping circumstances God puts you in. But do so in faith. Do so with your eyes fixed on the Lord. Do so uh, in fellowship with the Lord. Because he, he, he knows what, it, what it's like to be miserable. He was miserable. He knows what it's like to mourn. He mourned. He knows what it's like to weep. Jesus wept. So it's not sinful to be miserable to mourn and to weep, when, especially when Scripture tells us to do it. Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. But do so in faith with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ because when you let Him turn these things, let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom, then watch how He brings you through it. Watch how He brings you through it. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. This is, he's got you here for a reason. He put you here for a purpose. All right. So those are the principles there. God rewards those who humbly fear Him. And this is why we spend our lives learning the Word of God and growing constantly. We, it never stops. We never reach a point where we say, okay, I, I'm, I'm full now. I know enough. <laughs> I got enough doctrine. I can, I can now live my life. I, if that's your attitude, you don't have nearly enough doctrine. You don't have as much as you think you have. All right, Because the issue is this, it's not a quantity anyway. It's a day-by-day walk. All right, verse 5, back to Proverbs 22. Verse 5. So on the one hand, we have this walk of humility. Now on the other hand, in verse 5, we've got the way of the perverse. The way of the perverse. Might get in a little bit of trouble today. Our culture doesn't want us talking about perversion. In fact, if you call anything perversion, then you're a hater. All right? And uh, the only thing, in fact, there are no perverts anymore. Any, any, anything you might think of as a pervert is, uh, is, is celebrated somewhere. And, and, and you're a hater and, and you're closed-minded if, if you want to call something a pervert. Well, Scripture calls this perverse, perversity. And it's really the only alternative to simplicity and purity. When Paul talks about Satan and what he does and leading your minds astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, then what other alternative is there but perversion? And that's what Satan does. He substitutes the good and the right and the beautiful and he substitutes a a perverted form of it and says it's just as good or that it's better. And that God's design is so inferior, Satan's improvements are always, uh, you know, always what you want. And uh, it's horrible in everything that he perverts. So thorns and snares 
are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. And, and really, it's kind of curious, because this is the language of, of Adam's judgment. This is the Adam of what God assigned when Adam fell into sin, and he said, you know, thorns and snares, you have the, the thorns that are going to grow for you as Adam has to, his, his work becomes toil in, uh, as, a, as a fallen creature in a fallen world. Well, there's the literal thorns and snares, and then there's the metaphor as we understand uh, obstacles in our, in our life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. And so there's, um, there's the way God's designed us to live, and then there's the way Satan has thrown an alternative path out there. But the alternative is, is fraught with these kind of obstacles, with the thorns and the snares. It's curious, of course, again, like with all these other verses, it's not the first time we've encountered something like this. This is, this is a snapshot of what Proverbs has been telling us again and again in, uh, in these previous places. Let's look at Proverbs 13.25. I'm sorry, 13.15. Yeah. Let's look at 14 and 15 there as a tandem. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. And so two courses you can pursue, God's way or the world's way. You want to uh, walk according to the Word of God and all the wisdom that He's lined up for us? Then uh, there you have it, the teaching of, of the wise, just living your life according to the standard of the Word of God. Otherwise, you're left with the, the, uh, the snares of death. The good understanding, on the one hand, producing favor, producing um, the chen, I think that's chen, or chana, yeah, it's chen, producing favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. So live the, live the life of grace, live the life of God's wisdom, live the life that He's laid out before you. And sure there's testing, sure there's obstacles and difficulties, but it's the easy life compared to the alternative. <laughs> How much divine discipline do you want to sign up for? Because, uh, you know, departing from the will of God just begins the, the corrective hand of God's discipline. He loves you too much to let you go too far off the, off the rails. And so you see the principles as they're laid out there. Um, chapter 15 and verse 19. All right. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. So what do you want to do? Do you want to slug through a hedgerow or do you want to run down the highway? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. The path of the upright, okay? Again, you're living your life according to the standard of the Word of God. You're not upright because you're, uh, you're, you're better than the next guy or that you're, uh, you're uh, proving your, your moral uh, betterment. You're actually just living according to the wisdom of God's Word. That's the upright walk. As opposed to uh, the way of the lazy. Going Satan's route. Trying to do your own thing. Always looking for the... Uh, you know, uh, you see this crowd trying to, to do, uh, pursue things in the quick and easy way. And in some of these guys, some of the inmates I used to work with back in my jail days, um, they worked so hard trying to not work you know, and it just, to me, it was insane. Like, 
man, you keep going to all this effort to game the system and all you really ought to do is just do what you're told. It's easy, it's simple, it's, you know, but you just, I don't know, they've got a mindset that won't, won't uh, wrap their minds around the, the concept. Just do what you're told. Anyway, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Just do what you're told. Walk the life God designed for you. Proverbs 16, 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his soul, preserves his nephesh. Yep, preserves his soul. See, it's, it's more than just practical tips. It's more than just, uh, you know, like a self-help book where live your life this way and things are better, live your life that way and things are worse. It, that is such a minimalization of, of these principles. It's damaging to the soul when you live in defiance of the Word of God. But it's cleansing to the soul when you're lined up according to the Word of God. It's preserving, it's saving. You know, when you with humility receive the Word implanted, it's able to save your soul, we're told. That's the benefit of taking in the Word of God. It, it's uh, nutritious, it's, it's uh, giving you the, the length of days and the, the quality of life, the promises that we have in the Word of God. So, anyway... It's, it's, to me, it's sad when uh, you get these secular philosophies and they, they say that they're the equivalent of, of the Bible. Maybe the Bible's good for you, but these other things are, are fine for these other people. And uh, they, can, they can read these secular philosophies of, of whatever, and, uh, and they, can have, they can have moral lives. They can have, uh, you know, they can have whatever. Well, as far as it goes in, in secular life, maybe... They can have a replica, they can have a facsimile of the Christian way of life and, and have an external uh, you know, moral existence and whatnot. But fundamentally, it's not the, the, the born-again status by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the true power of the Word of God transforming the soul. So essentially, it's just whitewashing the, the, the fallen soul is what they're doing. And, and yet living the lie that there's value in it. And uh, they're, they're going to stand before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ, or at the, no, not the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to stand before the Lord of the great white throne judgment. He's going to say, I never knew you. And yet they got this long list of everything they did for him. Lord, Lord, we did this, we did this, we did this. Thinking that uh, all their human effort had some value, had some merit, and it was worthless. Absolutely worthless. So preserving the, the soul. 1916, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of, con of his conduct will die. And damage that gets done. And you, know, you think about the soul preservation that happens when you're walking in righteousness. And uh, it's more than, you know, the, the world thinks if you just you know, slap a, a condom on, everything's fine after that. And, and you can, you, can uh, you know, keep from getting pregnant or, or keep from a, a physical disease or whatnot. But, you know, the, we're talking about the soul here. We're talking about spiritual damage that's done. Uh, there's something that the, the, uh, the condom isn't covering, all right, in terms of the soul that's pursuing the, the careless walk of, uh, of this world, resulting in that operational death. Psalm 18, again, so much of this is Davidic in its uh, fundamental um, upbringing, I think, as, as Solomon uh, 
Psalm 18:26. I mean, can you imagine growing up and your dad is King David? <laughs> you know, and imagine that he's written all these psalms. I mean, you had to you had to have grown up with all this stuff. All right, Psalm 18, verse 26. With the pure you show yourself pure, and with the crooked you show yourself astute. Play on words here as far as how God deals with the humble and how God deals with the proud, how God deals with the pure and how God deals with the crooked. And, uh, you know, God is himself not crooked, but we, we understand or twisted. We understand the idiom for what it is, that, you know, no, no crafty trickster is going to out, you know, is going to pull one over on God, that he's always six steps ahead of him anyway and, and everything else. Um, you know, God is pure. God is not twisted as we understand it. We don't, um, we, can, we can apply this verse appropriately. Verse 27 says, You save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. That's the fundamental issue of the angelic conflict. Pride versus humility, as we said before. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And as I say, perversity is the only alternative to simplicity and purity. The, um, Paul's concern for the uh, Corinthian saints, he says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's what it's about. The Christian walk is not complicated. It's a simple walk. It's a pure walk. It's, it's, it just gets complicated when religion comes into the picture, when Satan confuses things. And there's all kinds of churches that substitute programs and religion and all this other stuff, and it has nothing to do with the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Anyway, those issues there. So do we want um, simplicity or do we want perversity? Obviously we want simplicity. All right, so we tackled verse 4, we tackled verse 5, are we ready for verse 6? Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, we don't claim this as an absolute promise, we don't claim this as, as uh, anything other than what it is, as a general principle of wisdom literature, that by and large, the, uh, the, when the foundation is laid at the youngest of ages, that there is a lifelong benefit to... Uh, to saturating the young person with doctrine from the youngest of ages. Point E, doctrinal grounding conveys lifelong and eternal benefits. Not just lifelong benefits. They don't stop when you die. The benefits are eternal. There are eternal benefits. So it starts with the lifelong and then eternal benefits. Doctrinal grounding you know, when you understand the energy required to train up a child, the energy required for training, the, the concept of training is one of consistency, one of discipline, one of enforced standards, the one of, of uh, like training, uh, training a child or training a dog, training an animal, training, you know, it, it requires consistency, it requires discipline, it requires overcoming an obstinate, uh, an obstinate attitude. And uh, it requires not only training in the right, but training away the wrong to, uh, to modify the thinking, to modify the behavior. Lots of principles of child training that we have through the Proverbs. We've actually seen um, 
principles whereby, of course, it requires the physical discipline, the corporate discipline, that uh, if, you, if you withhold the rod, that you, know, you, you don't love that child. And um, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, we were told. And it's got to be disciplined. It's got to be removed out of him. And these other applications there. Doctrinal grounding conveys lifelong and eternal benefits. Something else that I think we see, such as in Deuteronomy and these other places we're going to turn to in a moment, um, it is, it's not a quick and easy lesson. It's not something that you just get once and you're done. You get it over and over and over again. You get it when the child is two. You get it when the child is five, when the child is ten. You're going to get it each step of the way along, uh, along the life of that child. And then that discipline continues. At a certain point, he's going to have to leave mother and father and be self-disciplined. Because uh, he's standing before the Lord in the, in the uh, generational accountability before God. Is he living the Word of God or is he living in the, in the way of the world? All right, so we have this grounding. I think the classic text even prior to uh, Proverbs or more than prior uh, Proverbs is Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, fundamental to Mosaic law. This was uh, given in the Torah and became uh, the, the standard for child raising for the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Probably the best known verses to any Jewish person. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. I mean, this is like the, the, the charter for the nation of Israel. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's not just external observance. It's not external law keeping for, uh, for a standard of righteousness, but it is to be an internalized heart standard. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. So there's academic instruction, but then it's reinforced conversationally. It's reinforced through family life. It's reinforced as a matter of course from one generation to the next. Teaching them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, everywhere, all day, every day. The contrast between when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, uh, that pretty much covers everything. <laughs> when you're home or when you're out of your home. How about that? Is that everything? When you uh, lie down and when you rise up. So, uh, I mean, every waking moment is a teaching opportunity. Every waking moment is this opportunity to reinforce what we're teaching with what we discuss, talking of them. In other words, our conversation needs to be uh, flavored with doctrine, needs to be uh, uh, flavored with uh, the truth of God's Word. As we saw in Colossians, our speech is seasoned with salt. Uh, this is what happens as the Word of God shapes our being and the Word of God shapes our, our conversation in, uh, in every way. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. In other words, we get dressed with them in it, and uh, we have things to help us remind ourselves of these things, the frontals and the doorposts and different uh, refrigerator magnets or whatever you have that helps remind you of Scripture. 
write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so they impact our family life and they impact our public life, our house and on our gates. So is, is our home a, a biblical home or not? Is our city a biblical city or not? I think we've lost the biblical standard in most of our, most of our culture. And yet this is the way it's supposed to be. Psalm 78, verses 3 through 6. This one is not Davidic. This one is from Asaph. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And so this requires us to pay attention which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We can value those that came before. We can value the the generations that brought us to where we are. And we better keep valuing it and pass it to the generation that's coming after we're gone. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. The generation to come needs to learn the lessons we learned in our day and the lessons that our parents learned in their day and so forth. We need to build upon these previous lessons learned. Tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. If God has provided, let's testify to this and let's equip the next generation with it so they can build on it, so they don't repeat those mistakes, so they can can benefit from the lessons learned. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers, that they should teach them to their children. See, God is the eternal God from generation to generation. He's the same, uh, but he's intending to bring Israel in a progression, not just repeat everything and start over with a new generation and teach. The idea is if, if if he's not building upon these previous generations, then God's not advancing His program at all. And then God will be limited to the same limitation we're limited to, and that doesn't make any sense. But God's the eternal God that's bringing each generation forward, and I trust He's bringing us. I hope that we're the rapture generation. And if we're not the rapture generation, then we better be equipping the next generation to be the rapture generation. And it's sad to me when I see... um, Churches failing to learn the lessons of the past, uh, of the past, the, the, the battles that were fought a generation ago. Aren't those battles over and done with? Let's move on. Let's, uh, let's, let's realize uh, who was right and who was wrong back then, and let's proceed forward and, and, uh, you know, on the right path and uh, fight the, the battles of our day and age so we can be preparing our children for their day and age. Anyway. So... Um, a law in Israel which He commanded to our fathers that they should teach them to their generation that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children. If we don't equip the next generation today, what are they going to do with the ones coming after we're long gone? See, we've got to take this opportunity now. This is what it's about. Anyway, I love that. And this is the thing too. This is where and this is true in ministry. This is true in, in, uh, in uh, uh, I expect that, that the men we train at, in our seminary, they're going to go into realms of doctrine that I never dreamed of. 
and I hope that I go beyond where Ralph was, and I hope Ralph went beyond where Colonel Thiem was. And this is, each generation needs to build upon the, the men that came before. And, uh, you know, the, the stuff I get wrong, I hope they fix it when, uh, after I'm gone, you know, um, as all these things play out. Isaiah 28, 9. To whom would he teach knowledge? To whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just taken from the, from the breast? The answer is yes. <laughs> teach doctrine to babies. Teach them to toddlers. Teach them to the youngest of children. Teach them, I mean, as soon as they start to learn words, teach them the good words. Teach them right words. Teach them how to, how to bow their heads and fold their hands and pray. Even before they're saved, even before they know what they're doing. So that they have these memories, they have these patterns, they have these, these, um, these, uh, this grounding in the Word of God. The answer is yes. For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. And in the Hebrew, this sounds like baby talk. This sounds like gibberish. This sounds like, you know, repetition. You know, lama, lama, lakav, lakav. All these uh, monosyllables in Hebrew imitating the babbling of a child. And in Isaiah's day, he was being mocked. And Isaiah says, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Anyway, then he gives the prophecy of the gift of tongues and the, the uh, sign that Israel can look forward to that when they start hearing the, the barbarian Gentile languages, they know they're in trouble. They know that their judgment has come and that they've had their stewardship suspended in the prophecy of the, of the uh, church age. The mystery of the church age is, is seen here in the unfolding of this mystery, of this, of this prophecy. But yes, the word of the Lord will be order on order, line on line, a little here, a little there. And uh, if, if you mock the word of God as being childish, woe be unto you. Paul's uh, encouragement to Timothy here touches on this as well. He says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. From childhood you have known the sacred writings. Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother, and they had him grounded in the Word of God from the youngest of age. Even though he had a, a Greek father, his mom made sure he was grounded. This, by the way, is the same childhood Paul grew up in. Paul grew up in a uh, with, with a Pharisee father and a Pharisee mother and, and Paul was saturated with, with the Hebrew Scriptures from his childhood. And he credits that, that it's the childhood in the Scriptures that leads you to salvation. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is why I believe Paul was saved as a child with these the exposure to the scriptures in this way while he was young, while he was humble. Didn't yet have the arrogance of the, the, the graduate school seminary that he went through at the feet of Gamaliel where he outshone all his other students and he was advancing beyond his contemporaries and he was top of the class, the best in, in Gamaliel's sight. And uh, imagine what a fat head that must have given him. Well, thankfully, the... Uh, in his humility, in his childhood, when he's first learning the scriptures, 
the uh, opportunity for salvation comes on that basis. The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You take this testimony to uh, Timothy and you combine it with his testimony in Galatians when he was rebuking Peter and you realize that he got saved as a child. He got saved very young. He was not born again on the Damascus Road. The Damascus Road is when his pride was broken and when he was, his eyes were opened to realize that he was actually persecuting the very Christ that, uh, that he was wrong about. All right, and that leads into that. I'm going to run out of time if, if I don't hit you with these real quick. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 We constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You want to talk about a vaccination. When you take in the word of God and the living and abiding word of God uh, infests your soul, what an opportunity. Because it's alive and powerful. And you've taken it in. And look, it does its work. It's a living, breathing thing inside of you. As opposed to teaching math or teaching history or teaching uh, Scrabble anagrams or anything else like I might teach you, okay? I can teach you facts, but if it's not the living and abiding Word of God, it's not going to have the impact in your soul that this, that this doctrine does. It performs its work in you who believe. You've got to, of course, receive it with faith, otherwise it won't do that work. You who believe. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You've probably heard that verse before somewhere able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is alive and powerful. It does its work. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in, humil in humility. Where better to start than with a humble child? In humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So, man, inoculate our kids. Let's get the word of God implanted. Let's get them memorizing as many Bible verses as we can. And the, the ministry of our Sunday school teachers is so awesome. Able to save your souls. The Word of God does marvelous things. And, uh, you know, when he is old <laughs> and uh, along the way, you know, humans do some stupid things and, and things that whereby we may not live long enough to get old. Okay? But the Word of God that's been implanted in there can be preservative, and the Word of God can trigger memories, and the Word of God can come alive at some marvelous moments. And uh, parents can't follow kids around, but doctrine sure does. And it's marvelous when you've, uh, when you've stashed that doctrine in your child's soul. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the book of Proverbs. And uh, alive and powerful. Thank you, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.